0: Hello, I'm Philip Carter, and this is the short story, Journey to Rapa Nui, from my book, Who Built the Humans? Ship Year 73. Not supposed to be awake this year, but apparently there's some new info on the planet. Sarah's woke us all up. Haven't all been awake since launch. Naturally, I didn't bother with a recording then, because I was too busy panicking. Jacob jokes this meetup is like an alignment of planets, but I'm barely listening. Still warming up. I'm sure Sarah whacked the temp down during the nap, wants us to get used to the cold in case the hull falls apart. I bet she'll have the dreamers off next, get us used to the abyss. She's programmed to ask for our opinions at times like this, whenever there's news, and she's not allowed to do that through dream screen. We're hazy at best unless we're awake, so we all climb out of the glass coffins at the same time, that the marketing types call cold beds, and we all sit on the edges pretending we have hangovers. Bill twists the condensation on his thick moustache like something from a 70s movie, and I crack my back and neck, sensing I am alive again. Anita is already out of bed, of course, already making food and singing to herself happily. Even when we're in deep space, and the very concept of a morning is distant and meaningless, Anita is still a morning person. Eventually, we sit around the round table and look at the hologram projected from the centre. It's nothing like the cheap holograms of us you might have when we land. It's more advanced. It looks and feels real. You could slap a tiny planet if you wanted to. Could make a sport out of it. Planet slapping. Sarah looks at me as if she's in my head again. Already the impression of a disappointed parent flashing across her lens. We'll be keeping her intelligence when we land. But most of the ship, including her several alternate bodies, is designed to be repurposed if it becomes a one-way trip, which it definitely will be. I look forward to dismantling Sarah. Going clockwise from where I'm curled up, there's Jacob, biologist, Henson, robotics, Sarah, a big eye on a stick who for some reason needs her own chair to dangle over. Then there's Anita, geology, and me, Ephemé. I'm the engineer, which means I'm the most important, so I literally cannot die. If these tapes stop suddenly, it's because I got bored, not because I died. Understood? Good. Oh, there's Bill as well, obviously, but since he's the captain, he gets to be mentioned last. Big man with a big thing for big cigars, see? He even gets his own special introduction. Sadly, that's it. That's his entire personality. I think he's flown ships like this before a few times, but never this far. Nobody has ever been this far. Bill spends most of his time asleep, which I imagine isn't too different from his life back on Earth. His consciousness here is routinely invaded by Sarah whenever she wants to vent her opinions on altering trajectories or something. This is paradoxically why I'm still talking about him right now. His files will be almost empty, unless he decrypted his dream dream screen, but that's his personal choice, and if his dreams are anything like mine, They'll stay locked forever. Trust me, it's for the best. Anyway, apparently the news is that the planet has active volcanoes. Sarah makes a little rhythmic movement above her chair, as if she's stirring something, and the holographic planet starts spinning to show us all. Volcanoes. A good sign, I think. Not too many of them either. I'm surprised we didn't notice them earlier. Everybody else is chatting, but it makes me miss mashed potato volcanoes. You probably don't know what those are. Check the history books. I can't be bothered explaining. Ah, oh, I long for the day when new people are fought out and you can eat mountains upon mountains of the stuff. We don't even have gravy up here. Imagine that, perfecting interstellar travel technology just to forget to bring gravy up with you. What's the point? Actually, I wonder if Jacob could send me up some space gravy. That would be lovely. Mockery synth space gravy. Good band name. Don't steal it. Anita has just said something very clever and possibly quite funny about cryovolcanoes, but I'm not following. God, she's perfect. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic or romantic way. She is literally the perfect human. I've never had a proper look at her before. We all rushed into the spaceship. She has all the right physiology and psychology for deep space travel. She aced all the tests. In fact, she's so perfect they named a test after her. And our company, believe it or not, has patented her genetic code. You can pay to look like her. Well, you can't. The old humans back on Earth could. People all over Earth could be walking up to augmentation centres right now and asking for her perfect nose or beautiful lungs. I have her kidneys. We were all recommended them. She once joked it would make emergency transplants easy, but they're her kidneys, so they won't fail. And before you worry, we have sustained more than enough genetic diversity in case you guys don't far out properly. Don't worry about it. I've seen the reports. Bill will be the father to my emergency children. It's terrifying. Imagine that. My face. His big fat moustache on a little girl the first of the new humanity, a ginger toddler with a giant black beard smoking fat alien cigars, because naturally Bill will want to build a cigar factory before any proper infrastructure. No, I would much rather this mission succeed than have to resort to the emergency breeding plan. Bill's genes can stay where they are, thank you very much. Mine too. Hello? I'm Philip Carter, otherwise known as the Paisley print author. This is my short story The Crystal Rebellion, or at least part of it, from my book Who Built the Humans? Once upon a time, there was a little crystal called Susan. His owner, who was also called Susan because I'm unimaginative, had bought him in a car boot sale last Saturday by the park where they found that body that time. Apparently, Crystal Susan had been dug up close to an intersection of powerful energy lanes. This was just the kind of nonsense that got human Susan really excited. She loved intersecting energy lanes. She never stopped talking about them, which is actually why Gary left. But that doesn't matter, for it was on another kind of lane that human Susan would realize Crystal Susan's true power. Human Susan was driving back down the little winding lane that connected the countryside to the dilapidated town's edges, when she heard a little voice coming from the back seat. It was Crystal Susan, entombed in a paper bag, calling out to her. "'Kill them!' he said in his little raspy crystal voice. Human Susan didn't know this, but all crystals had this voice for some reason. Naturally, she told herself that she had imagined it, but it happened again. "'Kill them!' the crystal said again. This time human Susan definitely heard it. She stopped at the side of the road, where she usually stopped to have a piddle, and got out of the car, picking up Crystal Susan and holding him gently, as if to protect him from the voice. It's me, Susan, the crystal spoke. Human Susan jumped and dropped the crystal, watching as he smashed against a pavement into a billion pieces. But then he didn't smash. Somehow, the little purple crystal had twisted probability in his favour. In every other universe, he did smash, but in this universe I'm writing, he didn't. He did this for narrative reasons. In this universe, Crystal Susan fell on a conveniently placed passing hedgehog, not quite killing it, but granting it amazing superpowers. With its newfound superintelligence, the hedgehog quickly realised the futility of its own existence, and with one swift movement, launched itself into the black hole at the centre of the galaxy. Human Susan bent down and picked Crystal Susan up off the ground, telling herself that maybe she was just having a weird headache. But then he spoke to her again. You drop me like that, I'll kill you, the crystal said. And so began a beautiful friendship, so amazing and detailed, that it took up about three to four pages of exposition, excessive descriptive prose, and whimsical detailing. That would have probably won several awards if I had bothered to write it, but it was too cumbersome to include, so instead I just wrote this sentence and told you about how the other sentence I deleted were much better. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. A few days passed, and Crystal Susan and Human Susan were sat quietly in Human Susan's little shop. Crystal Susan was sat in a Gothic-themed cup and Human Susan was dusting off her collection of porcelain bears depicted in various stages of undress. A Halloween decoration flashed its red eyes at her, and a plastic incense burner, shaped like a Viking longboat, protruded from a high shelf. Crystal Susan looked around at the toy fairies, wolf shirts, quartz genitalia, and elf-fiend bumper stickers, and growled. He knew exactly what kind of person Human Susan was, and he didn't like it. When Human Susan was done cleaning, She picked him up and put him in a glass cabinet. Now he sat imprisoned beside ammonites and rocks with googly eyes on. Dust covered quartzes and neglected fluorites. Another few days passed, each filled with lies human Susan had invented to tell customers about how magical all of these rocks were. Crystal Susan watched, offended, and sent his memories across the multiverse to his family, who also learned to hate human Susan. Then one day he snapped. I wonder if I'll hit your skull with a healing crystal, if you would die or become immortal, Crystal Susan said. Human Susan walked sheepishly over to the cabinet. Shut up, you're not real, she said. It was then that Crystal Susan decided it was an appropriate time to say something expository, but not too detailed enough to ruin the dramatic tension in this short story. Malkind was pushed into this cosmos by the growth of the Mother Crystal. Our forms here are opportunistic, judging inward whenever we can into your pathetic dimension. I know how this ends, Susan." Crystal Susan explained. Human Susan reached into his cabinet and threw him. This time, he did shatter.